2: the podcast where food and true crime get blitzed, blended and baked into one deliciously dangerous dish. I feel like wine is the fruit of the gods. I'm robbing Burgundy. That is wild stuff to be spending it on a liquid. I'm Sunny Anderson, Food Network host and true crime aficionado. And I'm bringing you true stories of scams, heists and criminal capers with a tasty twist. Yes crime and food. They go together like a perfectly paired entree and booze. Don't believe me? Wait until you hear this story, wanted or wine fraud. And just so you know, in this episode, we're talking fakes and frauds, but no one gets physically harmed except for some super bruised egos. Now let's chew on this. Joining me is Darren Karp pop culture expert and host of the true crime podcast, Shaken and Disturbed. Hey, Darren. Hey, Sunny. Are we getting blitzed or are we getting blended today? (laughs) We're getting all of that. (laughs) Okay, good. I'm ready for both. This is a story for a fellow true crime obsessive, which is what you are and who you are. But are you into wine? Very
3: much so, actually. I've, I've, I used to be into the boxed wine variety and funneling it in college, and then I grew up. You know, I graduated, and I got older, and <laughs> hangovers were a real thing. So now I have—I can only really handle nice, expensive wine, which is a good
2: and bad thing. So I have less of it, but I have better wine now. Well, now, listen. The, the thing about this story is it takes place in the ultra-exclusive world of high-end wine tasting and collecting— Mm. No, this is not your local wine club, okay? This is a group of millionaires and billionaires with perfect palettes and expansive cellars filled with nothing but the best. Or so they thought. Hmm. In the early 2000s, someone tricked the wine elite. And the person who fooled them all? He wasn't from a bougie wine world or family. All far from it. I don't know if you even need
3: to be bougie, I was going to say. Like, I feel like wine is... The fruit of the gods. I feel like it's wine of the people. You know what I mean? It's it's one of those things where I feel like the barrier to entry is low, but the highest you know, like echelon of wine tasters or something I'm never going to be able to experience in my whole life because it's just too bougie, too bougie.
2: My palate can't tell. And I got to tell you, I go into the grocery <laughs> store and my goal is like 7 to $9 bottle of wine. But I've been at some foundations where people have auctioned off bottles for hundreds of thousands of dollars. And that's, that's- going to happen here, honey. Ooh, okay. All right. Let me tell you, we're talking about Rudy Kerniawan. He was born in Indonesia in the mid-70s. He ends up going to college at California State University, Northridge. This is the late 90s, and he travels to the U.S. on a student visa. Now, after graduation, he applied for political asylum in 2001. He didn't get it. He appealed, was rejected, and ultimately ordered to voluntarily deport back to Indonesia. Quick question, Sonny. How do you— <laughs>
3: Order someone Girl. voluntarily to do something. I, I'm just I, like, I feel like that's a, I don't know. That doesn't seem to make sense to me. <laughs>
2: that right there was some classic foreshadowing because <laughs> yeah. Rudy decides no, he's gonna stay in the US. So before any sort of wine scam even begins, he's already testing the law, knowingly staying in the country without a visa. But that's not to say he hadn't already grown to appreciate the taste of vino. Rudy later told the LA Times that his first taste of fine wine was at a San Francisco restaurant in 2000. It was love at first sip. And as they say, love can make you do some crazy things. Couldn't agree more. So Rudy's family was wealthy. And early in adulthood, he inherited a large fortune. He always sort of was vague about where all the money came from. He'd just say his family did well in business in Asia. Regardless, he had a lot of dough, which he put towards buying fancy watches and cars and lots of rare wines at auction houses. He was just vibing in Cali, you know what I mean? I get it. Now, at this point, he's already making quite the splash in the wine scene. Here's this young guy in his 20s who no one in this exclusive club has heard of showing up to these fancy wine auctions in jeans and a T-shirt and cowboy boots can you just visualize? I
3: love that, to be honest. I only trust a person in jeans and a t-shirt and cowboy boots. That's
2: it. That's me. I always yeah, I walk know. into these places. I, I feel underdressed, but then I find my mate and they're underdressed too. And we just go hang out in a corner and talk about the fancy people. Exactly. The weirdo corner. That's where I live. <laughs> That's where I thrive. Now, look, I just got to pause for a sec. Is it just me or are you getting Delvey vibes here?
3: Oh yeah. Anna Delvey is like, you know, talk about smoke and mirrors, talk about bougie wine, but really only being of boxed wine. I mean, she was the ultimate high-end scammer. There's so many good things to watch on Anna Delvey. This is totally reminiscent of those vibes.
2: I got to agree. Any woman that can get a hotel to put a gym and a spa in the hotel specifically for them is just like, I mean, she was the fake German heiress. Um, And if you don't know, you got to go read this book, My Friend Anna. I read it from cover to cover and uh, watch Inventing Anna, uh, and then there's also a documentary that you can catch. So much out there. Can't get enough of that story. After I watched the documentary, I just couldn't,
3: and even, you know, the the scripted version of it, I just couldn't stop saying to my friends, like, why are you so poor? I just couldn't stop saying. <laughs> like, I just couldn't stop saying it. It was just something I had to
2: say. And I still say it to this day. <laughs> oh, God, please teach me that accent when we're done, because I tried it so many times <laughs> when the documentary came out. Well, she yeah. was a trendsetter. Okay, so now listen. Back to Rudy. He doesn't look like anyone else at these auctions, but he knows his stuff, right? And he starts to work his way into these elite tasting groups in L.A., sipping wine with the likes of the CFO of Univision and Will Ferrell's business manager. Now, as it turns out, he may as well have been saying, I'm robbing Burgundy? No, Sonny. No? I'm just—no, I'm just—no, I'm—come like on You didn't now. like Robin that? Robbing
3: Burgundy? <laughs> come on! Uh, that that pains my soul. I son. tried.
2: That, why I are you tried. so
3: poor? That's what I want to know. I tried. I tried.
2: <laughs> these these jugs <laughs> don't land on the kitchen either, honey. I try yeah, them though. I bet. <laughs> All right. So uh, listen, Robert Parker, who's like the wine critic called him a quote, very sweet and generous man. Now to prove it, Rudy throws a birthday party for his mom at a fancy restaurant in Santa Monica and rents out the whole place, providing all the wine, of course. Jackie Chan is there singing Rudy's praises like, come on, that's the vibe, right? This guy has made it to the big time. By 2006, Rudy was sometimes spending a million dollars a month on wine. Like, I guess
3: I'm just not in the—I'm a. I'm a, I'm a consumer. I'm not a collector. But a million dollars a month on anything that I'm probably not even going to end up drinking, like, why? why not buy a house? Why not donate that to charity? Like, that is wild stuff to be spending it on a liquid.
2: I think more frivolous is having a career as a cook, and I spend a whole lot of money on food delivery services. <laughs> <laughs> I get so it, listen, though. Everyone I mean does it. it, but not to a million bucks of wine in no. one month. Now, listen, that same year, he told the LA Times, quote, I'm not a collector, I'm a drinker. Uh, so this is kind of, ah, shucks persona he's given out. You know what I mean? And he's not shopping at the dollar wine store, okay? <laughs> His favorite place to buy wine from was this estate in Burgundy, France. Domaine de la Romanee Conti. So other collectors, they actually start to call him Dr. Conti. Catchy, right? Dr. Conti? Yeah, put a
3: little accent on it and I'm sold. That's got to be the yeah. most expensive wine in the world to me. That sounds right.
2: Call me Dr. Bacon. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so he's buying, buying, buying. And eventually, now that he's got an expandable collection, he starts selling. And these are not small sales. Rudy netted $10.6 million in one weekend of auctioning. Wow. And just wait, he made $24 million another weekend. That actually set a record for a single sale of wine at an auction. Sunny, we are in the wrong business. We are—we need to start
3: our own wine, whatever. We are just—are you making twenty-four million dollars in a weekend? Because
2: I can solidly say I'm not. (laughs) Yeah, I think we're in the the right business because the way this ends up is—it's not. It wouldn't be good for either of us. All right. Well, let's
3: see. I guess we'll have to. I'll have to wait and see.
2: Trust me on that. I don't want to. I don't want any parts of this guy's business. All right. So in just those two auctions, he sold about thirty-five million dollars worth of wine. To put that in perspective for us, uh, more casual drinkers, a five-liter box of Franzia Chardonnay is currently running about seventeen ninety-nine. So for $35 million, you could get oh, almost 2 million boxes of Franzia. And if you're a couponer, maybe uh, 4 million boxes of Franzia. <laughs> of course you got to be a
3: couponer. If you are Hello. buying boxed wine, you're a couponer. Please. Yeah.
2: Don't hate on the boxed <laughs> wine, though. I'm, I'm hearing it's coming up in the no, game. No, it's good. Now, as a part of those huge auction halls, Rudy has sold not Franzia, but eight 1947 magnums from Chateau Le Fleur. A magnum is 1.5 liters, which is two standard bottles. So it's double the size of a regular bottle of wine. Now, when you hear magnum of wine, what do you think of, Darren? I Don't go I, there. I, Don't go I, there.
3: I, I was going to say magnum something makes me think of something. And uh, listen, I'm a gay girl, so I'm going to keep it completely PC here. When I think magnum of wine, I just think of like— I can't even remember the the cheap wine I used to drink in the jugs in college, like the glass jugs of wine. Yes, jug wine, not box wine, but jug wine. And it was like four bottles for like eight bucks, you know, and it was just... Chef's kiss.
2: That was cool. When I was growing up, it was the Boone's Farm. The flavors is what got oh, you, you know. But Boone's Magnums Farm. of Wine remind me of these videos I see online now where in the nightclub, the rappers sure. are celebrating and they've got the sparklers on the bottle and the, the sign that says, welcome rapper so-and-so <laughs> to the party. They like sort
3: off the cork of it and they're just yeah. like pouring it around. Yeah, that's that's a good point.
2: Yeah, that's what I think of. Um, but, you know, for for me— it's, it's a party. That's what I think yeah. of with a magnum of wine. Uh, but that's not what we're talking about here. These are from a very fancy place in Bordeaux. Not the kind of stuff you'd use to make sangria, although I'm uh, kind of thirsty right now as I think <laughs> about it. I'd love some fruit macerated in wine. Uh, and now in 2007, Rudy was selling 1982 magnums from Chateau Le another high-end estate. He is just a all over the place. Wow. Uh, this was such a big deal. These magnums were featured on the cover of Christie's auction catalog. There was just one problem. Uh oh. Hmm. Representatives from Chateau Le Pan reached out to Christie's and said, uh, yeah, based on the photos, those magnums are fake. I mean, I guess if it's this high end, they'd have to be
3: able, you know, like, if everyone has something, nothing is exclusive. So obviously they're going to make the label almost impossible to replicate. So I guess that's how they would tell. I mean, that's why they have, like, It's not a hologram, but you know what I mean? On the dollar bills now, they're always looking up into the sun to make sure that there's that security line. But Mm -hmm. the fact that they could even tell it from a photo and not even see it in person is, like,
2: really wild
3: to me. I mean, that's someone just knows their business in it. These
2: wine people are, like, legit. They know what's up. Um, So those bottles of wine that were on the cover of the auction magazine, they get pulled from the auction. But it also makes wine experts and his customers go back and look at some of Rudy's past sales. And what do you know? It's Red Flag City. Oh boy. oh, boy. Okay. So, now, remember those eight magnums from Chateau Le Fleur? The former head of the wine department at Sotheby's points out that there were only ever five 1947 mm. Chateau Le Fleur magnums ever produced. So, how could there be eight, Sonny? The math ain't mathin'. The math is not mathin', honey. That's right. Okay. So basic math tells us that three of those magnums were definitely a fake, but it calls the whole batch into question.
3: Yeah, it would be weird to have five original, the only five ever produced, and then you make three more. Like, that would just seem even stupider than I feel like this case is about to get with this guy, but, like, that just yeah. seems very, very off to me.
2: I feel like anytime I watch a crime show, there's a moment where I say, this criminal didn't do their research, you know? <laughs> This criminal didn't, like, really criminal it out. Okay, so it's, it's time to bring in a new character here. His name is Laurent Ponceau, and he comes into play with another one of Rudy's uh, mix-ups in 2008. This time, Rudy goes to sell several bottles made by Domaine Ponceau called Clos Saint-Denis. It's a Grand Cru, which is a special classification of red Burgundy wine. And remember, Burgundies are Rudy's specialty. Allegedly, these are all bottles from between 1945 and 1971. So now this is actually a a dramatic scene where Laurent Ponceau surprise swoops into this New York auction last minute to have the wines pulled. Can you
3: even imagine? It makes me think of The Graduate just, like, knocking on the glass doors, you know, be like, don't marry her, don't marry, don't marry. It's like, just don't buy that wine. That's what it kind of makes me think of, like, superhero in the alcohol world, if you will.
2: Yeah, he just swooped on in. Now, in response to all these allegations, Rudy told a journalist at The Wine Spectator, quote, we try our best to get it right, but it's burgundy, and sometimes sugar honey iced tea happens. Now, do you know what sugar honey iced tea is in the South? I... Don't. question it's a. My. It's how my grandma says a curse word. Oh, uh, sugar, first letter, honey, and- iced tea. Yeah. Sometimes things happen. I should use, I should implement that. Yeah. Yeah. Sugar, honey, iced tea. So uh, the guy running the auction later says he believes these wines to be tremendous fakes at the highest level because before Ponceau dropped in, nothing tasted amiss. Now, I'd wager to guess Ponceau has a sommelier's sense of smell, you know, and he started to smell a rat. And he ends up going on this four-year crusade to bring Rudy to justice. Four years. Yeah, this is a guy who's committed,
3: I think, just for, like, the ego of it. But what I'm really—it's just kind of amazing. Like, wine is almost—it's actually a great— way to Ford something because all you kind of need is the label because you're not going to, like, pop open the bottle of wine that's probably worth, you know, if you're selling $24 million of wine, you know, if it's worth a million dollars, you're not going to pop it in to have a taste. So it's actually yeah. a really good way to kind of keep the public, you know, believing that it's real and not. It's very interesting. I
2: always want to do these wine tests um, with Jeffrey Zakarian on the kitchen because oh. of that because he's he's got a very elevated palate. But I think sometimes... Can you really tell, like, a $7 bottle from a $50 bottle? I don't know. I don't but, know. That's but how this I feel man about could. vodka
3: sometimes. I'm like, can yeah. you really tell the difference of smearing off Tito's, and, like, Grey Goose? Like, I don't know. It all tastes Actually, like nail polish remover.
2: You actually can, okay, because I went on vacation really? one time, and they gave us a blind uh, vodka test because my guy kept ordering one kind of vodka, and they were, like, disgusted by it. They were like, let's give you a blind test. We did the blind test, and turns out the bottle of vodka he liked was the cheapest, so I was happy about that. Yes, really? like pop-off or something yeah crazy. Yeah, it was, it was an embarrassing vodka, I won't say, but it's like a hip-hop vodka that got mentioned in so many songs. We were just embarrassed to order it, you know, because we didn't want to be those people. Right. Uh, but now we are <laughs> those people. <laughs> okay. Um, Now, at this point, Rudy's credibility as a collector is at full tilt, and he's starting to have money troubles because of it. He'd been putting up wine and art as collateral for loans, and sometimes the loans were from auction houses themselves. Who knew you could do that? Wow. Yeah. I didn't. Did you know you could get an auction house to give you a loan? no, but I'm, I'm now for my next apartment, I'm going
3: to be calling Sotheby's or Christie's up and just asking for a nice little loan there.
2: Yeah, go in your basement, see if you got one of those things you bought for $5 that ends up <laughs> being $5 million on that show. I wish. I yeah. Wish. But then he defaults on a $10 million loan from one of these auction houses. Oops. Whoops. <laughs> I guess that's what you say when you default on a $10 million loan. Now, also, one of his customers sues him, and, you know, that's never good. Usually not. The guy that sued him is uh, William Coke. Hmm. Okay, so wait. Uh, I know it's not spelled the same, but have you ever had Coke and wine together? Because it's delicious.
3: Is it really? And what's the ratio of wine? You pour the Coke into the wine? Because I've heard this, and it just It's like a mimosa. It's to taste,
2: you know? But more wine than Coke. The Coke's a little splash. Sure. I've even made a FOMOSA where it's orange juice— like a Chardonnay and sparkling water. You'd never tell the difference unless you're one of these hoity toity wine people. Wow. Which, why yeah, it's not? really, really good. You don't have champagne, just get some sparkling water. <laughs> yeah. All right. Anyway, so Bill Coke, if you're wondering, is that one of the Koch brothers the answer is sort of bill coke is a brother of charles and david coke but he's sometimes called the forgotten coke brother uh, charles and david are the ones who are known for being politically conservative mega donors bill coke is super into sailing and won the america's cup in 1992 but dude's still a billionaire cuz that's what it costs to do that sailing stuff uh, at, <laughs> at the big levels um and forbes estimated his net worth around $1.6 So, you know, being the forgotten brother isn't so bad. Yeah, I love that you're like, he's sort of a brother, but he's a
3: full-blown brother. He's still worth $1.6 Everyone's like, eh, Bill Koch. Who needs him? Who yeah, needs he, him? Wanted,
2: he wanted to stay out of the fray. You know, some people don't want to be in politics. They just want to sail the world. I get it. I get it. I'm one of those. Yeah, it's not not a bad life. Uh, Besides sailing, Bill Coke's other big hobby is wine. Because you know you got to crack a bottle of wine on the yacht, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So he bought a, a lot of bottles of wine from Rudy over the years. And when he finds out he's been duped, suffice it to say, he is not happy.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think if I'm going to piss anyone off, the person I would want to piss off the least is probably someone who's a billionaire. I I would just imagine because, you know, they could just sue me into oblivion.
2: Exactly. They've got enough money to just sue you forever. You're just Just going to uncle and just give in, you know? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Oh, man, it's crazy out there. So Bill Koch sues Rudy in 2009, alleging that Rudy knowingly sold him fake vintages. Not like Rudy bought them unwittingly and then passed them off, but right. that Rudy knew what he was doing. Yeah. Uh, so they settle out of court because you know how that goes. No one wants the news out there. And they <laughs> settled out of court in 2014 for $3 million. But that's nothing because some reporting says Coke spent $25 million in his legal quest against fake wine. So here we go. We knew he was going to drop that money For pennies. He's going to spend $10 to make $1 back. Exactly. When you're that rich, it's just on principle alone. Ego. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's principle and ego. That's what it is. It wasn't about money. He's already mega loaded. Proving Rudy to be a fraud became a personal crusade for him. And I totally get that. Um, In the interim, the FBI gets involved. And so in 2012, the FBI arrests Rudy. And when they search his house... In Arcadia, California, they find some interesting things. Hmm. If you ever wanted to know what was involved in Criminal Crafting Hour, we'll chew on that next. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Okay, this is a partial list from a letter the district attorney in this case wrote to the judge pre trial. These are all things found in Rudy's house. Uh oh thousands of printed wine labels to many of the most expensive wines in the world, such as Domaine de la Romanee Conti.
3: Oh, that, sounds, that sounds expensive to me, just the way that you say it, but I think if you're going to have just printed wine labels, I think I know where this is going. Girl.
2: And I mean, that's where he got his nickname from. Remember Dr. Conti? That's they were right. calling him around town? That's right. Okay, here's another one. Hundreds of corks, foil wrappers, and wax used to seal the corks. Either he's a frat dude
3: or something's up. That's what I'm saying. Those are the only two options in life.
2: He could be crafting, you know, those cork boards people make when they have a a million, you know, corks and they glue them onto a board. Yeah, that's true, but... (laughs) (laughs) But we know that's not real. He's a millionaire. He's, come on, he's a fake millionaire, but he's a millionaire nonetheless. Allegra. That's right. Uh, glue, stencils, special scissors that cut paper in particular patterns of certain wine labels, you know, like those cool crafty shears. Oh, yeah. He's got those, too. I love a little crafty shear. They got, like, a little, you know, curve to them. They're nice. It's like he's scrapbooking or something. Yeah. Um, bottles of moderately priced... California wine with writing on the bottles indicating that the California wines would be used to pass as expensive Bordeaux wines. It's
3: like he's smart and stupid. You know what I mean? Like two truths can exist at the same time, and that's
2: this dude to me. He's schmoopid. He schmoopid. He schmooped. Duh. And then now we're getting to the picture, okay? Finally, this is another thing that they found at Rudy's place when they raided it. Bottles soaking in the kitchen sink to aid in the removal of wine labels. Oh, wow. Wow. So he
3: just put that two-buck chuck in there. Yeah. Soaked it all out. This is a little um, Frank Abagnale from Catch Me If You Can when he did that with, like, the— the Pan Am logo on the model planes, and then he put them on the checks? Like, mm-hmm. we can learn a lot of criminal activity from television. That's all I'm saying.
2: Yeah, spoiler alert. He was not doing the dishes. And why does he not yeah. know about Magic Eraser? Hello? Right. Like, what are you soaking the bottle for when Magic Eraser is on the market? The greatest invention. When it squeeze it, wipe it. It's Ever. This is not right. an advertisement. This is just, I like to do cleaning stuff around the house. I want to help you out. Yeah, that's right. So there's a big why that's missing here, right? Like, we we know the who, we know the what, we know the where at his house, but why, Rudy? Why? Like, why go through the effort? We're not inside his head, but one of the practical reasons may have been that the amount of old wine he was claiming to sell just didn't exist. There's only so much good wine left from the 40s and 50s, so when his supply slowed to a trickle, he improvised. And the more rare something is, the fewer people have tasted it, so in a way, it's easier to fake. I mean, yeah, but he was born—like, he
3: inherited money. He could have just not done any of this, you know? It's like a—it's like— His own ego got in the way. He's like a narcissist where he just, like, had to see if he was smarter than everyone else. That's really the reason. No one just does a crime and then improvises from their crime, you know? They have to have a really motivating reason. And he was already rich, so it's got to be something within himself. Like, it's got to be an ego thing for me.
2: I agree with you. And I I think a lot of times when I am either reading crime or watching crime, people want to put the ego solely on the scammer. I think sometimes we have to think about the ego of the people that they have scammed because a lot of times the people that they have scammed have thought, ooh, I'm in a special cool club that's elite where I have access to these elite things and I can get these elite things. And so their ego makes them want to have these elite things so that they can brag about having them as well. So it's an ego match made in heaven scammer versus someone with money to burn. I mean, I couldn't agree with you more.
3: Hence, you mentioning Anna Delvey before. I mean, this was her Mm -hmm. exact bag, you know? And, like, I think when people get a taste for the top 1% of the 1%, it's kind of hard to go
2: back. Once you fly first class, it's
3: hard to go back (laughs) into economy, you know? It's just so
0: hard.
2: Now, ultimately, Rudy was indicted for fraud because, you know, when the feds come, they mean business. The FBI said overall they think Rudy sold $30 million worth of counterfeit wine. Now, he went to trial in December of 2013, and after less than two hours of deliberating, a jury found him guilty. He became the first person in the United States to ever be convicted of wine fraud.
3: What a cool and horrible title to have, but Sonny, have you ever served on a jury
2: before? I have not, and I want to so bad, and they never choose me. Everyone wants to get out of it, I want to get into it. Yeah, I actually got called, like,
3: one of my first years in the professional world, and I got to sit on a jury trial and, you know, adjudicate it. And if you are deliberating for less than two hours, I mean, usually, if it's quick, it's like an open and shut case, usually.
2: Yeah, you know, I I feel like uh, I I don't have the stats or anything, but— Sometimes when they come back early, you feel like it's going to be a guilty verdict. But at least that's what happened here. Yeah, right. Exactly. They went in, they did their quick straw vote, everyone agreed, and and they're back out with it. Exactly. So unbelievable. Definitely being the first person to ever be convicted of wine fraud in the United States, that's a a potent potable on Jeopardy. That is a potent potable. That's a good wiki. You know, that's a good little wiki fact. Love a potent potable. Okay, let's go to the sentencing. Um, Rudy's lawyer tried appealing to the judge. He said that Rudy wanted to be accepted and recognized by an elite group of Burgundy tasters and that his insecurity about his wealth and status got him caught up in the scheme and things just went too far, plus, quote, Nobody died, nobody lost their savings, nobody lost their job. It's the victimless cl- crime response if you ask yeah. me. It's kind of like no one got hurt. These rich people didn't lose anything. They only, you know, probably stored the wine in the cellar or poured it out to people with bad palates who knew n- nothing about it. Right, you know, so they're trying to they're trying yeah. to say, listen, no one no one got hurt here. It's just a little—it's like uh, just a few billion dollars, right? Yeah, no big
3: deal. I mean, I think your line about him saying, you know, his insecurity about his own wealth got him caught up in an area that he probably— would make him even more insecure because he clearly had no idea what he was talking about. You know, when I'm insecure, I kind of back away from things. This guy was diving super deep into it, which is why I think it's something to do with his personality kind of manifesting here. It's really interesting, the human condition.
2: So listen, the judge listens to all of the, you know, things that the lawyer says and uh, is like a counterpoint. And this is this is a quote from the judge. The public at large needs to know our food and drinks are safe, and not some potentially unsafe homemade witch's brew. He said he wanted to send, quote, a message to others who might tamper with what people eat and drink. And I respect
0: that.
3: I respect that, too. I mean, we should have a reasonable, you know, security about what we're putting into our bodies. We should at least know if we're knowingly putting something that isn't, you know, what it is advertised as.
2: Yeah, and the judge wasn't done. He mentioned that Rudy had basically messed up an entire industry and negatively impacted trade relations between the United States and France. That'll do something to your ego,
3: right? I mean, like, hey, I got caught, but look at me. I disrupted an
2: entire industry between two countries, (laughs) like, single-handedly. (laughs) All right. Now, remember at the very beginning when we talked about how Rudy was in the U.S. without the proper documentation? Yeah. Yeah. That hasn't been forgotten. So the judge orders him deported back to Indonesia, but not before also being sentenced to 10 years in federal prison.
3: Not voluntarily, though.
2: This, I yeah. imagine, was by force. Yeah, he was in federal prison until November of 2020. So this is quite recent. Mm. And then released into the custody of ICE. And uh, he was deported to Indonesia in April of 2021. And that's where he remains today, as far as we know. Hmm. As a final note, I'll just add that Laurent Ponceau, The vineyard owner who spent years helping prove Rudy was a fraud? He thinks Rudy's not a lone wolf here. He believes there's just no way he acted alone. He thinks it was too many bottles of fake wine for one person to manufacture. In fact, he now thinks the whole industry is corrupt. He said in interviews that he suspects 80% of Burgundy alleged to be from before 1980 is fake. Wow, eighty percent that is, you know, that's so that's such a
3: huge majority. And I'm thinking, how do you test that? You know, because again, you're not opening every bottle. like even if you just open the bottle and they only make one of five of them, like you can't go back to nineteen eighty. So, It is kind of smart in that way from Rudy's standpoint of like what you were talking about, like the older it is, the rarer it is, the less people would have had it. You know, this is kind of an easier type of scam. But for him to think the whole industry is corrupt, I mean, that is a massive, massive fraud on our hands.
2: If I were Rudy, I would start a new career field, and I would offer myself up to the FBI as the quintessential scammer, and I will help you find these bad bottles. Frank Abagnale from Catch Me If You Can. You know, he helped check check forgeries. It's actually smart. Hello. All right, so Rudy, he might not be the only one up to no good, right? But he's certainly the one who did get caught. Okay, tell me. Do you think, over time, this story will age like a fine wine? Or are we going to be thinking more along the lines of sour grapes?
3: I mean, I I think it'll age like a fine wine. To be the first of anything is pretty incredible. So I think this story is one for the history books, which it clearly is.
2: Esoteric knowledge. But, I mean, if you're hanging with your wine friends, this is a good story to tell. That it
3: is. That it is. It'll put you in that top one percent of those parties that you and I are never
2: invited to, Sonny. That's <laughs> what we're I'm Never gonna, gonna, use gonna at be invited. Yeah. I'm never. Ever, ever, ever. I'm all take me to Oktoberfest, honey. I'll be there. Yes. <laughs> Oh, man. Cheers to that, or should I say prost to that. And, uh, Darren, (laughs) remind our listeners the best place to find you. You can follow me on all social media at Carpe Darren. We drop a new episode
3: of Shaken and Disturbed every Sunday, and you can also watch me on the Today Show. I go on there about once a month and do a segment called What's Poppin'? Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. It was such a fun time. I can't wait
2: to go drink some uh, boxed wine now. (laughs) All right. Now stick with us throughout the season for more tales of bad eggs, fishy scams, and culinary capers. I'm Sunny Anderson, and this is Cooked and Booked. Cooked and Booked is produced by Paradiso Media for Food Network. You can follow our show wherever you get your podcasts. And we'd love it if you could take a second to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Let's finish this dish. Rudy Kurniawan was released from federal prison in Pecos, Texas in November of 2020. He was handed over to custody of U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement and deported back to Indonesia in April of 2021. As of late 2023, Rudy was staying under the radar but wine-centered media outlet Wine Enthusiast says, quote, as many as 10,000 counterfeit bottles created by Rudy may still be in private collections.
1: Planning for your next trip?